This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. We are here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance and the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. everybody. We want to talk a little bit about fearless marketers because here at uh, the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit, they've identified fearless 50 marketers. Joining us right now is Sarah Kennedy, Chief Marketing Officer of Marketo uh, on the Markets Nation Summit and those fearless 50 marketers. What do you mean? Because I see the big <laughs> signs as I was walking here yeah. uh, into Moscone. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, fearless marketers to us really is all about um, encouraging and empowering our nation of marketers and our community of customers to just be bolder and be braver in the decisions they make every day. It's all about jumping first and finding your parachute on the way down because many times as marketers, we hedge or, you know, we play it safe and our companies need us to be better. They need us to be bolder in what we do. I guess it has to be even more so today when I think about industries that have been stayed for how many decades yep. are being disrupted. I hate it. It's an overused term. I get <laughs> it. But you do have these young upstarts coming yeah. in and changing the way we think about Absolutely. how things are done. Absolutely. And we've got to be um, willing to also know there's, you know, there's the average tenure of a CMO these days is 18 months to 20 months. And oftentimes we're looking out ahead and looking around the corner and worrying, hey, are we going to be the ones that are here to carry the ball over the finish line when our job is actually just to maybe the car- to carry the baton from one leg of a race to the other. And so we've got to be bolder in what we do while we're here and while we're stewards of the brands that we serve. And doing lots of activities. I mean, I think about here's a day uh, in the world of business where we've had a lot of M&A action. You yes. guys just recently acquired a company. What are you doing to kind of adjust to how things are changing? Yeah, so we, um, we actually acquired a company called Visible, and we we're so excited about that because what it does is it gives us such a deeper level of insight and just a view of the analytics and just the value that are coming out of the investments marketing teams are making. So when they are, you know, investing in different events or different paid search or whatever, every single touch point now can be measured. And so Marketo was doing a level of that, but Visible is actually the leader in our industry at measurement and analytics. Wait, talk to me about this because I love this because we are so data driven, right? But I also talk with people about the data exhaust. There's just so much stuff spewing out there. This enables you to what analyze it get smarter yeah, to know it. where so if you're spending a dollar here what are you actually getting out of that dollar and how many times is your investment in paid search for example or in a webinar or whatever how many times is that actually touching a buyer before they actually make a purchase so for us we're finally getting that level of granularity that the fortune 1000 need when their cmo is investing 10 20 30 100 million dollars a year in marketing you know it's interesting coming off the financial crisis where i realized in talking to a lot of cfos of Fortune 500, S&P 500 companies, where the CFO no longer was just the guy who dealt with earnings. He became so much more instrumental in any kind of decision making because they wanted to analyze how the money was spent. And this kind of plays into this. It does. And it actually creates this catalyst for the CMO and the CFO partnership. And we've talked actually a lot about this. My my CFO and I spend more time together than probably <laughs> anyone else in the C-suite, honestly. But it says a lot about how things are done today. It does. And it's all about, I mean, they've got to be a partner. The finance team that is helping you manage your investments has got to be a close partner because they can help. Really, I mean, there's no CFO in the world that doesn't want to invest in something that gives them a great return. They just need to know that it does and they need to see the data that backs that up. And it's there. It's just connecting those dots and telling that story, which is what Visible is going to allow us to help marketers do more effectively. Tell us a little bit about 
about the thing, the event you just came off of. Yes. You were talking with the uh, Diane Green. She's the CEO of Google Cloud. Well, yes. So Diane, Diane Green was on stage. I was also talking to Jamie Foxx uh, as well, who just got off stage. But Diane Green uh, joined <laughs> us on stage. That's a great combination. I know, right? Right. It's, it's a, uh, but yeah, we um, this event, It's man, it's incredible event. We've got uh, well over 6,000 marketers here on site, another 1,000 at least that are joining us virtually uh, through our live stream. And so it's actually one of the, fa- I think it's been one of the fastest growing marketing events in our discipline area um, in this industry. So it's really cool to take it from 250 people back in 2012 to now well over 6,500 that are here today. Well, I think about, though, um, our audience. They're investment professionals. They're smart people. They're investors. Um, Tell us a little bit about this event and you know what does that tell you about kind of what's going more going on more broadly in the business community yeah it's a marketer investment community that's great no it's so marketers need to be able to provide value across their businesses and that's why they come to events like this is because they really are trying to prove that value to their investors to the stakeholders to the shareholders across every single business because marketing can be a catalyst for growth if the right data is in place and the right leaders are there who know how to use it and so I think for any investor who is looking at their business if their marketer isn't here then they should probably encourage them to be no, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because when you start to go through a financial balance sheet and you right. see where spending is going yeah. and kind of the impact, yes. this all plays into it. And the return on marketing investment, that metric is critical. And if people aren't measuring that inside of the businesses you're investing in, then you should be challenging that because it's, it's the most important thing we do. Got to ask you, so Jamie Foxx, yes. where does he fit into this? Just got about 30 seconds. No, so, fear, so fearless. <laughs> when I think about Jamie, so he's gone from being a comedian to an actor to a musician to now an entrepreneur. He is just, he's run the gamut of all things you can do. And he's done so many things in be so bold to step into, I mean, being a comedian to start out with, um, and just to do, go through all of the different areas of success that he's had, we thought it was the greatest story we could possibly bring to tell. What? How do you be fearless in every facet of your life? And he did that just now. Right. Make some changes and yeah. like, kind of keep on marketing yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for having thank us here. Thank you, Carol. Really cool stuff. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Sarah Kennedy, she's the Chief Marketing Officer at Marketo. We're on site at the uh, Marketo Marketing Nation Summit in San Francisco, and you are listening to Bloomberg Radio. So safe to say that one of the keys to a successful marketing platform is data. And last week we heard about the increased use of data and algorithms in real estate. We talked about that here on Bloomberg Radio. Data, obviously, very, very important to the world of marketing. Let's bring in Stephen Yeo. He's marketing director at Panasonic Europe on-site at the Marketing Nation Summit at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much, Carol. Um, You guys um, are huge, well-known brand, well-known company. How does Panasonic use data to access customers? So it's really data's um, everything because the marketing cycle where our customers engage with sales is actually getting later and later into the sales cycle and that uh, customers are engaging with Panasonic earlier and earlier where actually traditional methods can't see them. So uh, what we have... What do you mean by that? So basically... (laughs) Sounds a little mysterious. No, so basically that um, data... People will use the web, they'll use mobile, they'll use their peer group, trusted people that they know, to basically uh, find out things, uh, brands or products that they're interested in, and that they should trust. And actually that relationship of trust is built before maybe we even know it, although where we do know it now is in the data. Well, it's interesting. You and I had, I feel like, a great conversation before we got going because... 
you know, following Mark Zuckerberg up uh, doing his testimony before Capitol Hill and U.S. lawmakers, um, I think so much was revealed about the use of data, the amount of data that's compiled. We've all talked about it, but I think it was front and center as a result of that testimony. You guys over in Europe, you've been dealing with, um, I feel like you've been ahead of the game in terms of protecting users' data. And there's some rules that are coming down um, that are going into effect in May. Tell us a little bit about the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. These are pretty strict standards. Uh, Extremely strict. So I've been... Uh, in B2B marketing in tech for now about 27 years. This is the biggest thing that I've ever seen in 27 years. And it is um, the R in GDPR means regulation, which in Europe legally means you have to do it. There is no discussion or difference between the 27 European member states. And basically GDPR is uh, all about that the citizen owns their their personal data if i uh that and they have to give permission to companies to be able to use it and the use of that data should be transparent and at any time consent can be withdrawn or given so this means that the uh and the penalties for gdpr for non-compliance are uh, 20 million euros or 4% of global turnover, whichever is bigger. So this is this is high, high stakes. What's 4% of global turnover? You mean revenue? Revenue. Wow. Sorry, this is translation. That's so, okay. Yes. So, That's so huge. This is absolutely huge. And actually, uh, is um, this can bring companies down or to a screeching halt. And personally... Uh, there are folks who say, well, you know, this could be the end of marketing. But actually, I, I feel that it's something which is long overdue and I think is excellent for marketing because it means that maybe the cowboys uh, are kind of going to be sidelined mm-hmm. because, first of all, I'm a citizen myself. I think it's really, really important that we respect the individual and their private data and we use it with huge respect. Right. Um, But also it means that instead of uh, what's happening is that traditional direct marketing, um, this will make our ability to do direct marketing, um, it will curtail it, make it a lot weaker. But on the other hand, the responsiveness of direct marketing, a lot of it, especially email, has, has now, it's irrelevant, frankly, as acquisition. So what we have to do is make sure that our awareness uh, is is really excellent and the, the, the content that we're offering is extremely good and valuable for the customer and then we can uh, respond to them when they come as inbound leads. Well, so instead of pushing, it's the customers are going to come to us because of our value. That's what I was going to ask you, Stephen, because there's been this assumption, right, that the data of all of the users automatically belongs to the company. And people have to opt out. But that's been the assumption up to this point. So now what you're saying under GDPR, does it change in that that assumption isn't there anymore? And that if a person says, okay, you can have my data, so now the the person is in the driver's seat. That's exactly correct. And and um, and it's it's making it much more, uh, uh, bringing a much more, how can I say, comprehensive legal framework around it. Now... This has huge consequences because personal data can be, uh, for example, your name, your tele- personal phone number, your email, but also 
inferences where you can triangulate who somebody is. Mm -hmm. So, for example, cookies. Uh, or even, for example, mobile phone masts. Right. Uh, if you can triangulate where somebody is, that qualifies as personal data. Now, with, with, within the GDPR, um, there's a thing called a data retention policy, which means you're not allowed to hold data for longer than you should, and you should not hold more information than is necessary. Now, imagine in companies you've got PCs where Outlook, your Outlook contacts, or your business cards in your draw, or um, you know, in S your your accounting system, etc., and that legally, that all of that data which qualifies as personal, which and the data retention policy says for this type of customer, I will only hold their data for say four years or six years or even one year. Right, um, has to be disposed of and deleted if they um, fall outside the data retention policy and they're not opted in. Now, what does this mean? It means that, so marketing is now owning the customer journey and the data exhaust that they leave behind as they go through all the departments in the company. Right. So that includes HR, it includes finance, it includes sales, it includes marketing, it includes operations. It includes the PCs on everyone's desk. It includes the business cards in their drawer. So how does that change now? Just it fundamentally changes. So what we're doing... So a company, I'm just thinking about even the company I work for. Now, mind you, it's a U.S.-based company, but we work overseas. But Are you saying so all of my information now... Yeah. So, so Falls under GDPR. So, so if you have... The way GDPR works is that if, if you have data on any European citizen on your database, this, this law will wow. apply to you. We only have about 30 seconds left here. I'll have to have you come back at some point. But this is a game changer. And do you yes. feel like that this is ultimately going to impact some kind of uh, regulations here in the United States? Yes, I think so. It'll completely change global regulation, and personally for the good. I think we're going to have to sharpen up our act and treat customer personal data with the respect it deserves. Because it's valuable. It's, yeah, and, it's and, and it swings elections, and it, it, it can, and it can be abused. Right. And we're, fi we're finally realizing this. I hope you'll come back at some point. Because this is unbelievable, um, what's been going on and the changes that are happening. Um, Stephen, thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. It's a great pleasure. Stephen Yeo, he's a marketing director at Panasonic Europe, on-site at the uh, Marketo Marketing Nation Summit in San Francisco. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Monday. I'm Carol Masser, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Well, certainly our next guest is definitely a winner. In fact, she's one of the fearless 50 winners, excuse me, fearless 50 winners this year at the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit underway in San Francisco. Kristen Wendell is Director of Marketing Operations at uh, Atlanta, Texas-based, or are they Austin, Texas-based? Austin, Texas-based. They're based in Austin, but you're in Atlanta. I am in Atlanta. Okay, we'll get it straight. Um, and the company is Plainview. Nice to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I, I was kidding you that when I walked here over to the summit, there's these huge poster boards of everyone who's been named a Fearless 50 marketer. Um, talking earlier with uh, Sarah Kennedy of Marketo, she said, you know, these are people who really just go out 
and aren't afraid of doing something different. Yeah. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your experience uh, and what you do at Plainview. So I am um, the director of marketing operations. I handle mostly our marketing technology, and I'm responsible for the side of our business where we're using technology to create personalized experiences for our buyers, and we're measuring that all the way through the funnel. So when they start to, they, they're anonymous, and they start to come in and start to interact with our website, we're tracking that um, from top to bottom through our funnel, and I'm responsible for creating those experiences, implementing the technology, getting them through the funnel, and um, um, reporting out on it. So this is B2B, business to business. Business to business. Tell us about by doing so, how does that improve kind of the customer experience and what they get out of you guys? So I think any buyer today expects a personalized journey. So they want to be communicated with where they are in the journey, where they communicate, whether they're on Twitter, um, whether they're on LinkedIn. They want you to interact with them where they work and where they spend their time. And they expect a personalized experience. And the beauty about Marketo and all of these technologies is it allows you to create those personalized experiences. And I'm assuming then then the client hopefully gets more out of you guys and then ultimately it makes financial sense for the time that they're spending or the business that they're doing with you, it shows up on their bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're making, you know, we're selling a product that makes, you know, their job and their lives easier. So if we can create or show that value and personalize that message to show them that value, um, that's what it's all about. Because you guys work on what they're called account-based marketing programs. I was reading a bunch Correct. about your company and, you know, it's really interesting interesting when there when a company has kind of a mission or a project it can often it usually involves a lot of different people different groups within a company mm-hmm. unifying them getting everybody on the same page can be really tricky very tricky and that's what you guys work work on yes so we're what we're trying to do at PlanView is connect a company's strategy to what they deliver whether that be a product service or customer experience so um, we we make that easier for them for the people that are part of that and the assets so at finance technology we want all of that to come together to create, um, you know, so everybody is working toward the same strategy and we're delivering good outcomes for our customers. Kristen, where does the use of data, like how have you been able to kind of lasso it up <laughs> and so make that's it very so that it's productive? Yes. So that, that is very challenging. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about what's next for marketing, um, you know, creating this data lake of sorts and being able to extract information that marketers can use to create a relevant personalized experience. Um, so I what like that we're data doing, lake, right? Because yes. there's a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, there is. A t- I mean, we have so many different point solutions, and then we have our backbone solutions and Marketo and a Salesforce. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're, we are just actively trying to figure that out. How can we take all of these data points, put it into this data lake, and garner some insight from it so that we can act on it? How tricky is it, though? It's very tricky. So, it's very tricky. So how do you tackle it? So we tackle it from let's do the low, you know, the things that are the easiest, the low hanging fruit first. We can now track engagement from our customers and we know what they're interacting with on our website, what content is the highest value piece of content for them. So we try to extract the things that are the easiest and then overlay. So what pieces of the product are they using, of our plan view product are they using, and how can we bring those two things together is what we're trying to figure out to create an experience. It's interesting because you've been in marketing for a while, correct? Yes. I mean, what have you seen in the kind of the last five to ten years in terms of how things have changed? We've been talking about data for a long time, but mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know, it really is the driving force, but it also can be the complicating force. It's very complicating. And the pace of innovation 
is just so fast. So it, you've got to stay on top of what the next thing is. And, you know, your competitor is probably on to the next marketing technology that's going to integrate this data. And, you know, they're, they're actively building a marketing program that has other, you know, pieces of data that we would need to, to create that experience. Who are your typical customers that you guys are working with? So we sell to large enterprises who deliver a product, service, or customer experience. So we have a huge world of, you know, ecosystem of customers that we Such service. As, can you, are there Financial services organizations, um, healthcare organizations, uh, the government, so, and government contractors, anyone that's delivering a massive project. So when they come to you, what is often the thing that they're looking to do? They are looking to... Um, so they have a strategy that they've set out, and they're looking to align all of their resources and track how fast they can get their product to market. So, uh, you know, people, you heard the term scrum or working in sprints. Um, so our product is making sure that people are focused on the right things and that the, the executive level can track how fast we're bringing a product to market and where the impediments are so they can, you know, uh, cancel the impediment or get the impediment out of there. So top down. we just got about 20 seconds. You're, you've been named a fearless marketer. What yeah. does it mean to you? It's been amazing for me. You know, you work hard and you, you hope that what you're doing makes, you know, a difference and is important to people and to be recognized in this public way is just simply amazing. And I know you've had some personal challenges as well. So that just makes it even trickier. Uh, it makes it even trickier, but when you love what you do any challenge, uh, I, I'll beat it head on. A big data involves a seemingly endless buffet of both good data and bad data. Our next guest knows about that. Chris Hickey is chief executive officer at Ringlead. It's a cloud-based data solutions company, an entrepreneur who has founded his own company, and he joins us here in uh, San Francisco at the Marketo Na- Na- uh, Marketing Nation Summit. Um, talk to us a little bit about your company and what you guys are doing. Well, thank you for having me on. I yeah, appreciate it's it. Great to have you. So, we, you know, Ringlead, I took over about a year and a half ago with Russ Arts, who is the founder of CA Technologies, one of the most successful companies in the era. And we took this company over to headquarters in Long Island, and we realized they're a data management company, right? But it's amazing that they were a small company growing like any business, but they had over a 1,000 customers, and they were the prestige names of Capital One and Uber and just incredible companies that, you know, New York Stock Exchange, right? And we were cleaning their data that sits within Salesforce and their marketing automation So scrubbing their data. Cleaning it for duplicates, right? right? Enriching it to make sure that you have firmographic data and that you have contact data that's correct and that it's compliant data, right? Right. So we built a platform called DMS, and we started enriching and cleaning it. But it's over 200 million records. This small company that is growing at huge huge rates right now out of Long Island had access to 250 million records, right, in some of the top companies around the country. Right. So the first thing I did was, look, uh, is it secure? Is the product secure? Can we be hacked? Imagine having access to all that, right? right? The world today is all about data, right? And if you have access to data, you can change the world, right? Well, how so, did you guys have it stored at that point? So we were in the cloud, right? And we looked at it and we said, look, the product is in the cloud. It passed basic security tests. So uh, Salesforce, right, is a big partner of ours. And yeah. they, will, they will make you go through a, a security test. But there were minimum levels of security. Coming from my security background, I hired some of the government's best testers from Maynard. I did an independent security test. And I said, look, can we get hacked into Right? Does it have vulnerabilities in the code? Are we updating the patches? Right? Because 75% of security attacks c- come from the code is built with human error. Right. And we didn't upload, upload a patch, and the vulnerability hits, and they hack in. So when you look at the Equifax situation of 140 million records, they were attacked because they didn't download 
the right patch, right? right? It was human error. And they weren't really doing vulnerability testing to the level they needed to. They didn't do security audits. So, Chris, when you did the vulnerability testing, what did you find? Did you uh, find that there are tons of flaws <laughs> with everybody? There's a, it, it, let me tell you something. There's a lot. It's, you don't want to create fear because right. that doesn't solve the problem, right? What you want to do is create. transparency. You need transparency. You need process. Yeah. And you need third-party testing and validation. And that starts with the CEO. If the CEO does not take this seriously, nobody in the company will. So th- that's a great point for me to start asking you about the Facebook stuff. And yeah. I think, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's now saying, oh, my God, like all my information yeah. they yeah. had access to. And look at all this stuff that could get out there. Yeah. And they were allowed to do it. Are we now kind of eyes wide open when it comes to information data? And, and is it now, as a CEO of a company, you're not just going to do the minimum that needs yeah. to be done. Now you're saying, okay, this is much more important. It, it, what I so Mark built a great company. Thank God he's an American company. And I applaud everything Mark did. And it's just amazing. But think about this for a second. When you start the company, the business models are in conflict. Right? You didn't join Facebook like my mother did, my father did, everybody did with their pictures and everything. They say, hey, Mark. I said, didn't. Yeah, well, I, I, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I didn't do I it. I didn't. I didn't do it either because I was there. But imagine somebody said to you, hey, Chris Hickey, you're joining Facebook and you're putting your kids' pictures up there, but I'm going to sell you data five years from now. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's the transparency thing, right? right. Because the business model is Mark makes a billion dollars a quarter on advertising. He makes $12 at 1.6 billion contacts on Facebook. Right. So for every Facebook, he makes 12 bucks. Who are the advertisers? McDonald's, Home Depot, all that. So do you think that my mother, right, my father, who go up on Facebook, who can't believe they're going to share their grandchildren's pictures, right. it pops up a message. They say, Mark's going to sell you data, and we're going to get ads popped up every second. That, that's the transparency. So the second part is, how do, you, how do you have a business model that you give something away for free, and you want the data so you can sell advertising to, right? Conflicts right, right away. Right. Now, they're okay to have conflicts if you're transparent. And if you build security awareness in there, like, I only want this data, right? Because, look, free is never free, right? Did we all think that Facebook was free? No. He right. was eventually going to monetize it and make money. So, one, he has to put security controls in. Right, he, but you could... You, right. Yeah, I mean, what, did, did we you, all think it was you, free? But you could have a little thing in really fine print saying, yeah. hey, well, by the way... Well, that's the issue. That's the issue right so, there. So, do things now change? Yeah, they have to. Because, look, transparency and messaging and making it easy people understand what they're signing up for right. is important. What about every app that's out there? When you download these apps, they're taking so, your data. All right, so let me turn the table because this is because we only got about forty-five uh, okay, seconds. Okay, got it. You guys, you are working with all these well-known companies. Absolutely. You've got to secure the data. Yep. Can we really secure it? Yeah. No. We, is it is it one hundred percent foolproof? No, but we can change. Right. DMS, our platform, has secure data, but it's not me. I go through third-party testing. We educate our employees. Seventy percent of mistakes are human error. So we got to educate our employees. we got to train them right. We have to have third-party testing to validate web testing, penetration testing. But look at the people around Marketo Nation. It's an amazing company. But everybody wants to be integrated into Marketo. Those are ways in. So now everybody has to be secure. Right. Right? Or you're going to get into Marketo. Right. right? And, you don't, and it, it has to be a secure environment. So your so complete business network has to be. It has to which be. Which can be tougher for smaller players. And I was, but we took it seriously because it came from the security background. So DMS is 100% security certified. But I look around the people in this room and I'm going, how many people have third-party security validation? Right. And think about the records they're managing. <laughs> Overwhelming. Um, fun to talk with you. But it's great to talk to you. And thank you so much for having yeah, us on. Thank you. The show is amazing, and you thank do you. a great job. Thank you. Chris Hickey, he's uh, Chief Executive Officer at Ringley, joining us here on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser on Bloomberg Radio. 
So for better or worse, artificial intelligence has made it possible for companies, political campaigns, and more to reach their targeted audiences. Joining us right now, our next two guests can talk about the ever-growing role of AI in marketing. Matt Zilli is Chief Custom Officer at Marketo, and Lisa Peterson is Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Digital Strategy at Denver-based GoGo, the in-flight internet company many of us use while we're flying around uh, here on site at the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit in San Francisco. Great to have you both here with us. Thank Great you so to be much. here. Welcome, welcome. Matt, um, how do we need to think about artificial intelligence when it comes to marketing? Yeah, it used to be 20 years ago it was the stuff of movies and 10 years ago it was this scary idea that marketers would never let AI take over their brand and those days have sailed. The way we are today, it is a total opportunity for marketers to take advantage of AI at every turn to deliver a better experience to their customers. What does AI mean, though, in marketing? Like, you're right. There's still, I think, a fair amount of people who just are like, I don't even know what the heck it means. Yeah, it could be anything. What it really means for most marketers today is it's all about taking all this data they have. They have way more data than any one person could ever look at and letting a machine comb through that and bubble up insights or actions and do something on behalf of that data so that a marketer, a person, doesn't have to be the one that's doing it themselves. But that machine just doesn't randomly do it. Somebody's got to feed it an algorithm or a formula or something, right? So that's where, you know, all of that data becomes useful then, hopefully. That's right. It's all about the marketer and the machine coming together. It's got to be uh, training this algorithm, learning what it knows, so it can't be this black box that's hidden and scary off to the side. It's right. got to help a marketer learn, help them make better decisions so that they can deliver what they're trying to deliver. All right, so that's the abstract. Let's talk about <laughs> the actual. Oh, really yeah, Lisa, like, how do you, like, I think about it when I'm signing on and I'm giving you guys information and blah, 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 blah. Like, how do you guys make use of AI at GoGo? So, what we do at GoGo is we really look at how you're, you as a customer are engaging with our brand. And we are using all of those different data points, be it you engage with us on social, on the web, you're opening up an email. We pull all of that information together, and from that we can basically make predictions on how you are going to either purchase or use our services. So it's the ability to take all that information, instead of treating the entire group as the same, I can take it and I can segment and I can micro-segment and I can get smaller and smaller and smaller so that we're really doing personalized marketing instead of marketing at the mass. So for instance, myself, so if I, I don't always use it, I don't always sign on. Sometimes a plane is a place for me to hide. But I mean, so how do you, do you get then a profile of me as an individual saying, okay, this is kind of a random user? So we will know, especially on the, on the private aviation side, yeah. we will know what people are doing, their patterns, um, through their MAC addresses. Okay. And we can aggregate that data. Now, clearly, all that data is their I mean, personal once we're data. On, I mean, once, once we're on, online. Okay. Once, you're, once you're online, right. we can kind of, you can see what people are doing and how they're interacting with their brand. What do people typically do when they're online? Is it just fun? Is it work? Is it a combination? Like, what do you, you will find? find that over 75% of the people are actually doing work online, and it really depends on the length of a flight. So if you're about an hour to an hour and a half in a flight, people are still working. At about an hour and a half, people start to flip off and they go into social media. After that, there's about another kind of 45 minutes where they, we start to see them flip and they're actually doing movies. That's fascinating. Yep. That is fascinating. So, so all right. So, Matt, so what, like, what's, what's the next iteration of the use of AI? Like, I feel like, right, we've been playing around this with this for several years and people are making use of it. Where does it go from here? Yeah, we're going to get to a spot really quickly here where somebody's going to wake up in the morning. They're going to be thinking about buying a product or using a service. They're not even really going to know where to go from there. And all of a sudden, everything that's going to lead them down the path, everything they want, to learn about that product or service is just going to appear in front of them at the right time. Are That's we, where we're going. Are we going to be comfortable with that? 
I think that most people are incredibly comfortable with that because it's not about somebody jamming a message in your face asking you to buy something like right. it is in so many places today. It's about offering something of value at the right time. When somebody wakes up in the morning and they're wondering what they should wear that day, it's about giving them information that's going to help them make that decision and just start to lead them down that path. So in other words, uh, all right, I wake up in New York and it's pouring rain. It might just pop up with, hey, by the way, do you need, or or, or a week from now, the forecast is this. Is it that kind of thing? Or it what? can be that kind of thing. That's it's Everybody's products and services are different. It's all about giving something of value. So Lisa, what do you guys think about when planning about where this all goes? So when we think about where it's going, we look at taking things that we know from the Internet of Things or machine-to-machine learning, where you're looking at doing kind of predictive maintenance to looking at how we can do predictive marketing around it. And so it's pulling together all of the information from a customer's journey pre-purchase to post-purchase and pulling it all together to say, this is what the behaviors of this individual look like, and here's how we can either market to them or we can help really either our airline customers or our private aviation customers better serve their customers as well. That's fascinating. Do you, though work with just the data that you collect or do you also pull in from other sources? Uh, so really what we have right now is our data. Okay. Um, and our data is, you know, it's different on each side of the business. So right. on a commercial aviation side, you're looking very at a passenger centric. On the business aviation side, it's clearly, you know, it's, it typically tends to be high net worth individuals. So you get two definitely different sets of data pools that are working there. Tell me a little bit more about the business aviation side. So that means what? So exactly. business aviation is basically um, anyone who is in a private aircraft. On the commercial aviation side, you typically buy a seat on a plane. Right. On like the business aviation jets side. And so on and so forth. So yeah, net jets, you own part of a plane. You right. may actually be uh, one of the fortunate individuals who owns an entire plane. You may actually choose to charter a plane. You may choose to buy a jet net card where you can actually buy a seat on a private airplane. But there are things that private air travel give you that commercial doesn't. Okay, so this has been a big part of our conversation about transparency, right, in light of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and going up before Capitol Hill. Um, You know, I think it's kind of surprising that people are like, oh my God, I didn't know they had this information because I think we all assumed that they were doing something with all this data. So what do you do um, specifically, Lisa, for your clients, the transparency, where, where, where is it? Do they know exactly they what's being collected? Know. So um, before anyone actually puts our service in activation, they sign basically a service agreement, which lays out exactly how we are using the data. We do but not. But it's not 10 pages of really fine it's print? It's not 10 pages of really fine print, and we don't sell data to third parties. Okay. So we ah. use that data ourselves to actually improve our products and services. We don't use that data externally. And Matt, that's going to be a part and part of it, right? I mean, I think, I really do feel like there's a little bit of a tipping point in terms of data usage and privacy concerns because of what's happened over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's absolutely true. When we look across all of our customers, we see that most of them are really good citizens with their data. They're only using the data that they've captured in a way that makes sense. They don't sell it to people. They're not trying to make money off of it. they're not all good citizens. But they're not all no. good citizens. And I think that's the best part of what's happened with Facebook is that it shined a light on this problem to try and get everyone there. Right. And sometimes you need a crisis to kind of make it everything better. Exactly. Um, thank you both. Absolutely. This is really a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. you. Good luck. Matt Zilli, Chief Customer Officer with uh, Marketo, and of course, Lisa Peterson, Senior Vice President of Global Marketing and Digital Strategy at GoGo here at uh, Marketo Marketing Nation Summit in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. You need a hand, I can assure you this, I can help. Well, yes, indeed. That's what this company is about. We are at the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. Steve Lucas is with us, Chief Executive Officer at Marketo, a marketing automation platform. Um, I should say nice to have you here, but thanks for having us here. Yeah, we're thrilled to be here. <laughs> it was great. I think the whole thing is just amazing, and you guys have brought 
a great level of energy. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, there is a lot of energy here. And it was funny uh, having a conversation earlier. You know, marketing isn't just about slamming people, you know, with tons of information about your device. It's much more, um, or your product or your service, it's much more selective. It's much more personalized. Things have changed when it comes to marketing. It has to. The reality is, is that if you wake up in the morning and you, you sit there and say, you know what, I hope I get spammed today, then you're <laughs> on the wrong planet. The reality is. But you still do. You do well, you do. But no one wants to be marketed to. They don't want to be sold. People want to be engaged with. They want things that are valuable and presented to them. And the reality is, is that, unfortunately, we live in a world today where if you search one time on camping, even though you hate camping, right. you're going to get camping ads for the next year. And we need to change. We need to turn this notion of volume and ads and exposure into value. Well, Steve, this is where you guys come in. I mean, do companies understand that? Do they understand the difference. They're, they're, they're starting to. The reality is, is they that certainly have enough data to play with. Though they have plenty of data. The reality is, is that it's turning that data into insights. And then once you get those insights, it's understanding what do you value? What right. do you really care about? And if, if companies will just make the effort and take the time to understand what you value and care about and then drive critical engagements at the right time, then you're going to buy. Listen, I mentioned, uh, or our news guy mentioned about all the deals that happened today. You guys did a deal as well. Tell me about, you know, what this deal means in terms of um, you guys, your broader mission here. Well, look, the marketer, uh, you know, marketers live and die by what we would call attribution, which is really just proving their impact. Every marketing budget every year is subject to scrutiny, review, the whole nine yards. And you have to it's go often th- the first one of the first budgets that I feel like that gets cut. It is. It absolutely is. And the and we acquired a company called Visible, which is entirely focused on helping the marketer prove unequivocally that their activities drive revenue and helping them improve those activities. I mean, so that essentially when they're spending on some kind of marketing initiative or program, they can see what the benefit is to the top and bottom lines. It is all it's about a, ROI. Um, is it that clear, though? Can you show that? Well, you know, I think the reality is is that companies like Visible have built their entire company on doing just that. That's how important it is. Right. And so Visible is clearly the, the leader in this space we call marketing performance management. And proving impact, the reality is is that that is as good as gold to the market. We've been talking to you in this, over the last couple of hours about the role of technology, the role of artificial intelligence and all of this. How does that play into it? AI changes everything. Yeah. The reality is, is that we live in a world where it is just physically impossible for a human being to do things like even customize content in an email that goes out to 10 million people. It would take you a lifetime as a human being to just put custom content per email. If you did one a minute, it would take you literally thousands of days. You can't do it. So this world that we live in where we have 4 billion connected people, it needs technology that can connect so we're talking with Steve Lucas, uh, CEO over at, at Marketo. But Steve, does that make does AI make it smarter, better that we, as a customer, be it a business customer or retail customer, are going to be more receptive? Oh, I absolutely think so. I think because the reality is is that AI can track what content you prefer, what you like, what you care about, and instead of just sending a mass email out to 50 million people with the same generic content. AI can literally, in real time, personalize the content to each individual. So where's the ick factor in terms of 
I'm getting a little uncomfortable that you guys have so much information about me that you know that you can predict what I'm going to need versus me saying, wow, that was really helpful. Well, I think we find value in it every day when you get that note from Netflix that says you might like watching this. Right. And you're like, yes, I would. The reality is it's a balance between value and volume. Today, it's too much volume. We abuse volume in marketing. And if you're focused on value, fewer engagements but more meaningful, people will value that. Do customers, do companies get that? They're starting to. This is a big transformation from moving away from marketing and selling to engaging. Where does um, kind of the news that's come out with Facebook and going Mark Zuckerberg going up before Capitol Hill, how has that helped change maybe the conversation, maybe made, made us all more informed? I think it definitely has informed us all. The reality is, is that the Internet, which we know and love, it's not free. You just pay with information. And we've seen that today, but it is absolutely the core responsibility of companies like Facebook or any other organization, a Marketo in it that serves businesses, to protect consumer and business information it is the lifeblood it is our mission it is our mantra every company bears that responsibility it's really nice to hear that and i do feel like we've we've gone through a little bit, little bit of a tipping point with yep, all of that absolutely um have fun with Lindsay vaughn tomorrow oh my goodness you know <laughs> anyone that says to me i don't just want to be a great female athlete i just want to be a great athlete is awesome and we're going to have an amazing time thank you for being with us thank you steve Lu- lucas he's the ceo at marketo joining us right here on bloomberg radio So it took four years of debate, approved in 2016 and going into effect next month. We're talking about GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. We talked about it with an earlier guest as well. It's beginning to be enforced in May uh, in the European Union. It really goes to the core of protecting consumer privacy and data and really the use of that data. Our next guest, part of a panel that's looking into why GDPR is good news for marketers. Here to explain, Peter Bell, Senior Director of Marketing Europe at Marketo, and he joins us on site live at the Marketo Marketing Nation Summit in San Francisco. Nice to have you here with us. Thank you. Very welcome. I feel like I'm getting an education, which I kind of love. This is important. Why is it important for marketers specifically? It's important for marketers because for the very first time, we're going to have to follow strict rules. We're going to have to be diligent on how we use data. You know, we're not the most process-driven of folks. Um, We tend to come into the profession for creativity and, you know, uh, that side of things, but this is real left brain activity for us. And we're going to have to build good process, we're going to have to design good process, adhere to good process. Those are three processes that we're not used to hearing, you know? It's, <laughs> right. this, is not, this is not marketing, right? It's like, uh, hey, what about, the, what about the good stuff? Uh, so it's going to be hard over time. But it's important, right, to build it at this level? Uh, it's super important because, let's face it, you know, Customers disengage for brands for one reason, irrelevant content. We saw that. We did some global research in 2017. The number one reason that the respondents cited for disengaging with brands was irrelevant content. And this strikes at the heart of it. You know, there are two, two words really sum up GDPR. You know, irrelevant and unsolicited. And the unsolicited part is that GDPR goes after. You know, if I didn't ask for that and it's irrelevant, why are you sending it to me? And the European le- regulators have felt the need to step in. But it's interesting when you say irrelevant. I mean, does that mean even if it goes to a relevant individual, they will have had to say, it's okay for you to reach out to me? They will, uh, for the most part. Um, it's it, does, li- it does make it trickier. It, it adds another layer. I- I'm not saying yeah. that that's not a necessary or good la- layer, but it does add another layer to the process. You know, it, it's both necessary, uh, but I think it, it's also a good thing. Um, 
And you know, we've just con we've just about concluded some research. Uh, we've got the first stats back, and what's clear is uh, we so we to recap in Europe we've just surveyed 300 business and 3,000 consumers, and the 300 businesses are split pretty much down the middle. Uh, where one half are approaching this with a real marketing-first attitude. You know, they're, they're coming at it as an opportunity. And the other half are coming at it from a compliance. Compliance first, it's just let this get this done. And my argument would be super simple. Um, for the folks who are just looking at compliance, they're doing what's sufficient. Now, we all have to be compliant, but what's sufficient may not be what's necessary. You know, you need other ingredients to do great marketing. Right. And over the long term, the people who are taking the view of being marketing-first are the people. They're the people who've already changed processes. They're the people who've already gotten rid of the, the dead leads. Peter, is there anything like this in our past that's similar? In other words, having to go through, you know what I mean? Like change in the way things have, have that, that we're doing things and it's a new way and it's taking a little time for the regulation to kind of catch up with it. Is there anything kind of that we can compare this to or is this a I, whole new world? I honestly think this is, this is marketing's high noon. We've never actually had to deal with such a, a large amount of change. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone gets very focused on, on Article 5 and the six principles of GDPR, but... Um, What's actually, Article 5? So Article 5 is where it lays out the technicalities of what consent, what permission looks like. Okay. Um, but there's a second paragraph to Article 5 where it talks about accountability, and it's the so-called seventh principle. And it says, we're going to have to be able to prove that we're upholding the first six... <laughs> Now, that means documentation, it means process, which is where I began, it means being able to prove those things are happening day to day. It's going to require culture change, and my experience of culture change is it's hard. Um, it's hard to make change stick in the first place, it's doubly hard to make it stick over the long term. But isn't it also just saying, I'm big on transparency <laughs> in life, in business, but just saying, here's what we're about. Completely. And if you understand it, then you're going to be okay working with me and sharing your information. Yes, and if we'd been able to do that for ourselves, the regulation wouldn't have come through. But the right. frustration of the regulators is too many marketers, unfortunately, obviously none at this conference this week, but uh, too many marketers have abused the consumer's trust. And it's, right. The response to everything is just do more, send more, bombard them, and that doesn't work. Um, you can see the, the companies who are gaining market share are the ones who are great marketers. People who use our data well are the ones who are taking our money. So when you look at the world, who does it well? There's three companies come to mind. In every conversation, these three companies come up. There's sometimes a fourth and it varies. But you know, the people who treat our data well and get our money and enjoy success as a consequence, Amazon, Apple, Netflix. You know, no one ever bitches and moans about community marketing, communication on those companies. And I've, you know, their market shares suggest I'm not the only person who reward them with more of my wallet. That's true. What and did they do right? There's a, I think, a really simple thing. It's a value you exchange. You didn't say Google and you didn't say Facebook. And they've got, you know, we can come on to that in a second, but I think what's unique about those three companies and which makes them the exception right now is um, there's a fair value exchange in my mind between me and them as a consumer. I give them and then I get something uh, I expect in return. Right. And sometimes they delight me as well, but I don't get the nasty surprise. Right. It's like an assistance or yeah. help. It's helpful information. Yeah, it's a give and get, you know, total value on both sides. So Facebook, Google, not so much. They've got challenges. I mean, you know, the, let's take the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica. Um, there, are some le there are some harsh lessons in there. Um, but it's cut through into the consumer psyche in the way that, say, Equifax didn't. 
You know, yeah. Equifax is a big deal, right? Right. And yet it never cut through into general social consciousness. Why? I, I, I don't know because it's financial data. Yeah. I, I just don't understand why. And yet uh, the, the whole thing with Cambridge Analytica has, and again, in the, in the research we've just completed, you've got about 75% awareness now of general data privacy as a, a thing and something to be concerned about. Um, which at 75%, you, you know, you're pretty much there from a marketing perspective. But only uh, about 30% of customers understand GDPR. So the understanding's there. Right. Uh, or the awareness is there, but the understanding's not there. It's just, it's fascinating um, in terms of the changing environment. It but, is. But being transparent, understanding kind of what's out there and how it might be used, and companies being upfront about it, yeah. that's, that's kind of, to me, it sounds like basics, but it's good to see that it's more of a conversation. Hopefully you'll come back. Thank you. I'd like to hear more about this. Peter Bell, Senior Director, Marketing of Europe at Marketo, on-site at the Marketing, Marketo Marketing Nation Summit at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to the radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.